I want to read down this morning to the end of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, uh, and then come back and look at a few of the verses here in this text. Wherefore, the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord uh, Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over the over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all just as a brief review we've had visitors this morning and we thank god for you that you have come this morning to be with us The Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus that worship flows from the heart of a child of God who understands the biblical foundation of God's salvation. Biblical worship based upon the truth of God's word. His list begins uh, in verse 4 with divine election, reminding the children of God in the church at Ephesus of God's choice of them before the foundation of the world. And then moved to the doctrine of predestination and then to adoption and to divine acceptance in verse 6. After that, he taught them that their acceptance was based upon the redemption accomplished for them by the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. And that in that redemption, they also gain the forgiveness of sins. That all who are forgiven by God are forgiven through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, based upon the work he accomplished for them at Calvary's cross. In verses 8 through 11. The apostle speaks of the mercy of God in revealing to New Testament churches those hidden mysteries, hidden in the Old Testament from those who were believers in Jesus Christ, not revealed to them, but in the days in which we live, revealed to us. And that is a great mercy of the Lord. And including in that is that God has reserved for us an inheritance in heaven, that the children of God gain that which belongs to God alone, and God is going to bestow it upon them 
through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 12, after stating that God's blessings were bestowed upon His children uh, by grace, He comes back and says to these saints, these members of this church at Ephesus, that God has done all that He has done for them in blessing them with those spiritual blessings so that they would open up their mouths and give praise to God for the glory that, for the glorious blessings that He has bestowed upon them. That out of their hearts and then out of their mouths, they would give thanks to God for what He has bestowed upon them. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul taught the members of the local church at Ephesus that they were true Christians because they had heard and received and believed the gospel of salvation as it was revealed in what Paul calls the word of truth, which is the word of God. What God has said in the scriptures is the word of truth. And what God says about salvation in the scriptures is the truth. And they had heard it from the apostles' mouth and from the other servants of God. And they had believed it and had received it as it was given to them as the very word of God. Not the words of men, but what God was saying to them as sinners calling them to repentance, calling them to faith in Jesus Christ. And when they heard and received and believed, God declared them to be Christians. God declared them to be Christians. And after hearing God's gospel, and after repenting and believing, repenting of their sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, God declared publicly, you are my children. You are Christians. 2,000 years later, we're reading about it. God's own testimony that those people were his because they believed in Jesus Christ. In verse 14, Paul concludes by teaching those who are true believers that when they believed in Jesus, God sealed them with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that sealing, as I said last Lord's Day, had two implications. There's more than that, but two that I brought out last Lord's Day. First is that God was testifying that this person has been set apart out of the world, taken out of the world, set apart, though they're still in the world, and set apart as mine. They belong to me. I have put my seal on them and they are mine. Not everyone in the world belongs to God. Not everyone in the world can claim God as their father. Not everyone in the world claims Jesus Christ as their savior. But those that have believed in Jesus Christ, God set a seal upon them in the spirit of God in them and says, this one belongs to me. Now we can't see it, can we? We don't know who they are. Sometimes we go into a foreign field. We don't know who they are, but God knows. Those that belong unto him. They've been set apart for him. The second aspect of being sealed with the Holy Spirit is that God is also saying that these are authentic believers in the true God. There's a lot of religions that say they believe in God. The Jews said they believed in the one true and living God. All over the world people say they believe in God. 
The term God means nothing unless it is defined by what the scripture says of God. Every man makes up his own imagination about God and imagines him to be this or that or the other, and that's the God he wants to believe in. But when it comes to the scripture, God reveals himself. This is the God of the scripture. This is the true and living God. And that's the God we're called upon to believe in. And what God is saying that when these people believed in Jesus Christ and he gave them the Holy Spirit, sealed them with the Holy Spirit, he is saying these people are authentic. These people are the true believers in the true God. All the rest that don't have that, they are not true believers in the living God. Only those sealed with the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Spirit of God testifies to them that they are the children of God. And so he concludes in this 14th verse how God has worked to save these people from their sins. And beginning in verse 14, uh, 15, this morning, we will spend a few weeks looking at his first prayer for this church uh, and that was established by him and others in the, the city of Ephesus in Asia. As we study this prayer, I hope that we will come to it with a heart that is open to learn. These are, this is a great church. This is a solid assembly. This church is grounded in truth, this church at Ephesus. And yet, when Paul writes about how he prays for them, he is teaching them what prayer is. He's teaching them how to pray. The disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ had already asked him, teach us how to pray. They had been walking with him for some time when they asked that question. I want us as a church to learn how to pray. You say, Brother Pat, we've been 30 years as a church. We know how to pray. Be careful. Because that statement means you can't learn anymore from the word of God or from God himself about this matter of prayer. And God's people, no matter how old they are in the Lord, no matter how long they've walked with God, they know one thing. They haven't got a handle on this thing called Christianity. God is still teaching them. And that's what Paul is doing as he writes to this church. And as he writes to them and pins down the prayer that he has prayed for them, he is teaching this church, this is how you pray. This is how I'm praying for you. This is how we pray for churches. And he begins in verse 15 and concludes in verse 23. After spending the majority of the first part of this chapter laying out doctrine after doctrine after doctrine as a foundation of biblical worship, he now burst forth into praying for them. It's almost as though he cannot contain himself. He must pray for this church. He must pray for them. Before he does, he makes a statement in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, before he prays, He tells them, I've heard something about you. Now, to some churches, that's a problem. I heard something about you. But for this church, it's not a problem. This church had a testimony. And before Paul writes this letter to them, he had heard something about them. 
there are some of the Lord's churches that have testimonies that are not so good. They belong to the Lord. You, you need not only need to read the New Testament to see that. There are churches addressed in the New Testament after the book of Acts closes and the epistles are being written, the letters are being written to the churches, and you read them. If you read them, you'll say, wow, that church had some problems. Yeah, they did. And God was being honest with him. You're a church. You belong to me. You, you've come behind in no uh, gift. I've blessed you. I've done this. I've done this. But go read the book of the Revelation. There's seven churches mentioned there. And God addresses them and the error that is in them. He calls them churches. He calls them his assemblies. They were his. They were his candlestick. He walked in the midst of them. He knew that church, those churches. And he reminds them of what he sees when he is there in the middle of them. Paul, in prison, had heard some things about the church at Ephesus. But there are some churches that don't have a good testimony. Not every church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ has a good testimony. And sometimes they are bound up in error. They have adopted some biblical error. And because of that, they don't have a good testimony. Sometimes they've adopted a biblical practice, an unbiblical practice. And because of that, they don't have a good testimony. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, we run across such a church. Acts 15, in verse 24, says, For as much as you have, we have heard, we have heard that certain which went out from us, some went out from our church, and when they did, they took a message to other people that was not what we believed. And we found out about it. And we heard about it. And in fact, we called a meeting to confirm we do not believe that. That's what the rest of the verse says. We went, they went out from us uh, and have troubled you with words subverting your soul. You see that sometimes people leave churches and say things about churches they left that destroy the souls of others. Be careful what you say about one of the Lord's churches. God's listening, by the way. Be careful what you say. Subverting your souls undermining the very foundation of, upon which your soul rests. Saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. And uh, that's not the problem in the, some of the churches today. There are other problems. But the verse concludes, to whom we gave no such commandment. We did not say, you go tell people about this. That is not what we believe. That is not what we believe. And what you have heard them say as they came out of our church saying, this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to believe, this is what, is, uh, uh, is what the Word of God teaches. What you heard them say, we do not believe. And we do not practice. And so this church in Jerusalem had a bad testimony because people left them and carried words out. That were not what was true about the church they left. Paul later on would write 
to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 11, he said, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren. He calls them brethren. He, he's not saying you're not Christians. He calls them brethren. But I, I've heard something about you. I heard something about you. What I heard, 1 Corinthians 1.11, is that there are contentions among you. The 11th verse of the first chapter, there's contentions among you. That's not a good thing to hear about a church. And that's not a good testimony for a church. You don't want to go to that church because they're always arguing, they're always fighting, they're always disagreeing with each other, they always, there's contention. Go down the road to another church because that church is not a peaceful place to be. In the 11th chapter of the same book, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18, he says to them, this is prior to taking the Lord's table. Uh, first of all, he says, when you come together in the church, I hear. I've heard some things about you. He says, I hear there are divisions among you. Contention and divisions. This is a church that has a testimony that people have heard about that is not a good one. A church... That's testimony is that there's contentious, they are divisive, they are angry people. That's not the kind of church we want to be. On the other hand, throughout the scriptures, there are churches that have good testimonies. Now, they have problems, they have struggles, they're not perfect, there is no perfect church on the face of the earth. We're coming to a day when we step out of this world into the next, and then there's going to be perfection. But there are good churches that have good testimonies. And we ought to be one. And Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus and said, I've heard something about you. I'm going to pray, but I want you to know before I pray, I heard something. And he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 and says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He's praying for them. And then he says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I remember standing before a church that I pastored previously and I said, is this the kind of church we want to be that the whole world knows about this little congregation stuck between two cornfields? That's where I was at the time. That the whole world knows about this congregation stuck between a railroad truck and a railroad track and a dirt road. Is that the kind of church we want to be that people hear about us? But what they hear is good. That the testimony of that church is a good one. And people all over the world want to come and see what God is doing. Your faith is spoken of in the whole world. That's a testimony. To the Colossians, he writes in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, we give thanks. Again, he's praying, we give thanks to God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard. What did you hear, Paul, about the church at Colossae? He'd never been there. He never visited that place. He's been to Rome. He's been, or will be to Rome. He's been to Ephesus, but he's never been to Colossae. But he's heard something. He's in prison. He sits down and he writes this letter to a church that he's never been to. But on the testimony of other Christians, he says, This is what I've heard about you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. That's the same, almost the same words that he said to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Paul had heard something concerning this church. He'd been there, not very long, but he'd been there, long enough to preach, and he'd left a missionary group there, and he went on to Jerusalem from there so that he might be with the Jews during the Passover to preach the gospel. He went on, left a group of people there, they preached, they established a church, and they told him, let me tell you about this church. Let me tell you about this church. What did Paul hear about the church at Ephesus? Well, he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard how they had believed in Jesus. How did they come to believe in Jesus? Somebody took the word of God and preached to them. And on the basis of what God had said in his word, they believed it. Believing what God said in his word. And when they believed what God said in his word, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have simply added the words, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, and he would not have violated anything at all regarding that statement. Because we come to faith in Christ through understanding what God has said about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to faith in Christ based upon what is revealed to us by God himself. And so, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I've also heard that you love all the saints. You love all the children of God. You love the saints. You know, when we were in the world, we loved those that were our drinking buddies. We loved those that were our hunting buddies. We loved those who were our fishing buddies. We loved those who were our sports buddies. We loved those who were at work. We, we enjoyed the company of those that we were like. All right? People weren't like us. They were kind of weird or strange or that guy's a nerd and I'm not a nerd and we didn't love them so much. We had our own little group of people that we loved in the world. When God changed your heart, he changes that group of people. And you come into the house of God and say, wow, I love these people. I don't even know their name yet. But something in them of Christ draws my heart out to them. And so our Click changed. This is my click. In case you understand. I won't have anybody in the world that I love like I love the saints. I love my mama before she died. I love my sisters. I, I love them, but not in the same way. You understand? If you're a Christian, you understand. And Paul says, I've heard something about you. I heard that when the gospel was preached, you believed in Jesus. And when you did that, God had changed your heart to love him and to love his people. Those that don't love the Lord's church, I have questions in my mind. I do. Now, you can say, Brother Pat, you're just being judgmental. I, I got questions because Paul says, I, I see how you love the saints He's talking about the church. Talking about the church here. 
And I want to be like that. These two things in my mind and heart and understanding form a summary of true Christianity. True Christianity, true Christian churches begin in faith. Live by faith, the scripture says. Serve one another from, uh, from faith that works by love. Paul says to the Galatians, there is something about faith and love that is inseparably, inseparably connected in the scriptures. That if you genuinely have one, you have the other. Because it, both of them is what God put in us. And so Paul could write to the Thessalonians, uh, the church at Thessalonica, and say in chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm remembering you. Another church, and he was spent three Sabbath days there and preached the gospel to them and then was driven out by persecution and was so concerned about it. Sent a missionary team back to them to check on them to see if they're okay. And that missionary team comes back to Paul and says, let me tell you about that church. They suffer for Christ, but they are faithful to Christ. They love Him. They believe Him. They trust His Word and they love one another. And so in his second letter to that same church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you. For you, brethren, as it is meet or as it is proper, because your faith groweth exceedingly. You see, they had not remained where they were. When the gospel was preached unto them, they believed and whatever they understood, they had, a, they had an understanding of who God is. They believed. But they didn't stay there. 30 years later said, yeah, I prayed that prayer. They didn't stay there. 20 years later said, yeah. And they got into the church. And what happened under the sound of God's word, they began to grow. Because that's what God does to His children. They don't stay babies. They don't stay little children. They're not toddlers running around after 40 years of claiming to be a Christian. They grow up and they become mature Christians. They believe the scriptures and they spend the rest of their days searching and learning and studying, trying to find out what God has said to them in 66 books bound up in a piece of leather in our day. Their faith increased. Their charity or love for every one of, of you toward each other aboundeth. I've told you before that ETH on the old English word. Don't be afraid of these old English words. Get yourself a King James Bible and read it. Don't be afraid of those old words. They mean something. That ETH on the end, it means that they had a continuing action. They started abounding in love and they have continued to abound in love and it just continues and continues. They're growing. That's been many, many years. And they're still growing. They're still growing. They're growing up in Christ. Because that's what the church does for God's children. They grow up in Christ. So Paul sits down with pen in hand and says, I want to tell you what I've heard about you. 
And this is a good church, this church at Ephesus. In the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews 6 and verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. How did that work out in, in, in nuts and bolts, as we say today, day-to-day work, which you have showed toward his name in that you ministered or served the saints. You ministered to the saints and do. Not only past tense, but you're continuing to do it. You have a heart to serve God's people. You have a heart to serve God's church. You have a heart to serve the Lord, and that spills over into God's people. It just flows out of you because of the faith and the love that's in you. And so, what have other Christians heard about our church, brethren? Well, you say, Brother Pat, some people have left, they've heard some bad things. Okay, all right, I got that. Okay. I understand that. But since then, what have other people heard about our church? And here's another question. What have other churches heard about our church? Well, this testimony that Paul writes, I've heard from other churches as well as other saints about you. What do we want others to hear about us? What is it that we want others to hear? Do we want them to hear about our faith and love? That's what Paul focuses on, and that's what God focuses on under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He sits down, pins a letter, and said, we didn't hear about the doctrines of grace from you. We didn't hear about repentance and faith toward Christ. Now, those things are important. We didn't hear about the lordships of, of, of Christ through you. We didn't hear about this. Or this. What we heard, and all those things are important. He just spent 14 verses dealing with those issues. And so they're critical to Christianity. I've labored for how many weeks now on that? But when he sits down to write about their testimony, he writes about their believe Christ and they love each other. They didn't lay aside doctrine to do that either. They embraced the doctrine that was laid out in the 14, 14 verses and other than the rest of the book. And they embraced it as the truth of God. And they kept on trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and loving each other. Is that the kind of testimony, public testimony we want? We want a testimony that draws people in. It says those people love each other. Those people love God. Those people love the Word of God. And if you want to know something about the Word of God, just go sit down to the next one. To anyone. Doesn't make a difference which one. Go sit down next to them and they will share the Word of God with you. That the testimony that we want. That they know God in such a way as they just open their mouth and it just flows out. It was said of Bunyan that you can prick him in any place you want to and he bleeds the Bible. When I first heard that, I was a young Christian. I said, oh God, may I bleed the Bible. I think I got a little bit of it. When others to see us as a people growing, 
in faith, growing in love, growing in our understanding of the one true and living God. We want us people to see us as people who are pursuing with zeal to know the living God or, or people who, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. You don't have to teach me, brother. I got it. What kind of attitude of heart do we want in this assembly? We want to grow in grace and in knowledge. Paul, Peter writing to old saints, saying to those who have walked with God for years, you need to grow. You need to grow in your knowledge of who God is. You need to grow in your knowledge of, of grace. You need to understand something more about grace than you do today? Is that what we want? Is that the kind of testimony we have in our own personal life? Does it carry over in our assembly? Or do we want our community to see us like all the rest of the religions in the area? As a church that professes to be Christian and content with status quo religion. Just like everybody else. Because you see, what I've been preaching is not status quo religion. What I've been preaching is life in Christ. It's what God does when he saves you. He puts his life in you. And we're alive. And that life is a life that grows. And so he said... Before I pray, I want you to understand what I've heard about you. And this is what I've heard. And then you think, well, a testimony like that, what does a church need to be prayed for? Well, well, I had, I won't call the person's name, but I said something to um, someone, I won't even say the gender. I said something to someone once, that's what I've been praying for you. They were going through a hard time. Oh, why are you praying for me? Did I do something wrong? Am I in trouble? You see, people's ideas, you know, they, I've been praying for you because I love you. Because <laughs> I know you're going through a hard time. It's not that you did something wrong. It's because I love you. And I'm praying for you. And so he burst out in prayer. And he says, I don't cease to give thanks to God making mention of you in my prayers. Cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. He's speaking to God, thanking God for these Ephesians and naming them before the throne of grace. The first thing he says is in this prayer is I do not cease to give thanks. There is an abundance of Scripture that teaches us that when we pray, the first thing out of our mouth ought to be, thank you. Thank you. The psalmist in Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When you enter the presence of God, you enter in with thanksgiving. You come into his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and praise are linked together. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this or that or the other. Thank you. And the list goes on and sometimes we come to the end and we say, but uh, thank you. 
but I need this. I, I'm wanting this, and help me here or help me there. That we begin with a heart that thanks God for all that He's already done for us. God has blessed us with an abundance of blessings and poured out upon us a magnitude of blessings upon our life when we say, oh God, I forgot. One more thing. Oh, wait a minute. How about thank you, God, for life and breath and all things. Thank you for the last meal I had. Thank you for taking care of my family. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you. How about that first? Because when you study the scripture, it begins there. It begins there. Psalm 92, verse 1. Listen to the psalmist. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. How many of you, um, don't raise your hand, want to do good? If you're a Christian, you want to do good, right? It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Add that to the list of good things you need to do. Okay, want to do. Then the very next verse, Psalm 92, 2 says, It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, verse 1, and then verse 2, to show forth thy loving kindness and thy faithfulness. The word show forth comes from a Hebrew word that means to announce, to announce or to express. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and express how grateful you are for His faithfulness and for His loving kindness and for His mercy and for His help and for His love. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and express with your mouth what God has done for you that is good. That's just two psalms. And Paul says, I want you to know I'm praying for you and the first thing out of my mouth is thank you, Father, for that church. Thank you for those children of God over there. Thank you for those saints. Thank you for that sister. Thank you for that brother. It begins by thanking God for them. We have so much for which we ought to be thankful. And the focus of our hearts ought to be thankful to our God. Especially the spiritual blessings that he has bestowed upon us as children of God. Thank God for his grace, brethren. Without it, we would be lost in our sins and on our way to hell. If God had not been gracious to us to save us from our sins. Thank God for his for his. Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the sacrifice at Calvary's cross where Jesus Christ stood in our place and bore our sins under the justice of Almighty God so that we might be made righteous in Him. Thank God for imparting to us a faith that we did not have to call upon the living God and trust Him with our lives and our souls. Thank God for his love for sinners because that's what I was. God scraped the bottom of the barrel that is full of sinners. God scraped the bottom when he pulled me up out of there and set me on the rock of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't pick me off the top. He dug down deep 
plucked me up out of a miry clay and out of a horrible pit to save my poor soul. Thank God that the sin of sinners does not keep him from coming to them to save them. Thank God for his children. We heard from our missionary this morning how God in providence has put people in his life who have helped him. The same may be said of all of us. God helping us along the way. This brother, this sister. Thank God for his churches, a place where we can go and sit and hear what God has to say from his word and go out and study and meditate and consider what God has said. Thank God for his churches. Paul had taught the members of the church at Ephesus that their salvation and their consistent testimony, their consistent testimony of faith and their consistent testimony of love was a result of God being gracious to them. Paul would put it this way, I am what I am by the grace of God. Churches can say we are what we are by the grace of God. God has helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Paul also knew that if a church remained faithful to the things of God, and remained faithful to God himself and to God's word, it was owed to the fact that God was continuing to work with them. That God had not left them in the dark days, and God had not left them in the weak times, and God had not left them when they were without strength, and God had not left them when they sinned against him, and they had, God had not left them, but remained faithful to them and sustained them and then brought them back to the place where they needed to be. He teaches them that in this book. He says to the Thessalonians, I thank God who hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. I know who has saved you, and I thank God for doing it. He says to the Philippians, it is God that worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. I know that This church, Philippi, is where it's at today because God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul's focus is on what God is doing for the people of God in their churches. And despite the the, the difficulties, despite the struggles, despite the sin, the contention, whatever, wherever, whoever he is writing to, he reminds them that God is there to bring them out of that and bring them back and put them on the right path that God had not forsaken them. And so he confirms this truth in the next verse, in verse 17, where he says that, I'm praying that, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And we don't have time this morning to open that up, and I won't take time, but only to say this. When Paul began to pray and ask for something after giving thanks, He moves to it. Now asking, the first thing he does is ask God to give them something they don't have. God, give them this. Now they got a measure of it, as we'll see next Lord's Day. But they need more. If this church is going to go forward, Paul says, they need more than what they got today. 
If this church is going to prosper, they need more than what they have today. If this church is going to shine, they need more than what they have today. If this church is going to leave its mark on in the world, in history, they need more than they have today. Is that our heart? It better be. It better be. Otherwise, we just slide back to where we're comfortable and that's the end of it. But God is not going to leave this church alone. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ interceding, but the apostle is interceding for them and calling out before the throne of grace this church's name and says, God, give them. Give them. And then he begins a whole list of things. And it's going to take us several weeks to open up that give them thing. Okay? But what he's praying for is you help them go beyond where they're at and get things that they don't get yet. And that's where we're at. That's where I'm at. And if that's where I'm at, I know that's where you're at. And so I'm praying the same. Lord, give me, Lord, give us what we need in the day in which we live to testify of the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow our heads before you and ask for help from heaven.